Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Sometimes facts can be hard to hear, like these from the Daily Signal. In text messages, Neil Stewart talked explicitly about his interest in sex involving minors while setting up what he thought was a meeting at the National Zoo with a man and his nine-year-old daughter, according to prosecutor's memo. Quote, what a B-Day gift that would be, Stewart said, referring to the meeting happening on his 31st birthday in October of 2015. If the nine-year-old girl, quote, would like to play, unquote. In February of 2017, U.S. District Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson sentenced Stewart to 57 months in prison, or just under five years, after his conviction of possessing and distributing child pornography. That punishment is far less than the 97 to 121 months prescribed by federal sentencing guidelines and has come up during Jackson's Senate confirmation hearing on her appointment to the Supreme Court. In another text, Stewart, quote, provided advice, unquote, on how to begin convincing a child to have sexual intercourse, which then could be captured on video. Quote, the trick, he wrote, is starting with a really small toy and and gradually moving up until Something is the same size and vibration, unquote. The prosecutors quoted obscene and graphic language in Stewart's text for Jackson's consideration in sentencing. And, of course, those can't be repeated here in this family podcast. But Stewart's case is one of seven sex offenders and sex offender cases highlighted by Senate Judiciary Committee member Josh Hawley. Now, what is the White House's response to these facts about their Supreme Court nominee? Well, from the Daily Wire, they said the White House is accusing Republican Senator Josh Hawley of misinforming the public through his allegations that the President's Supreme Court nominee has a pattern of letting child porn offenders off the hook for their appalling crimes, unquote. White House spokesman Andrew Bates said uh, in a Thursday statement that Hawley's comments were toxic and weakly presented misinformation that relies on taking cherry-picked elements of her record out of context. It buckles under the lightest scrutiny, said Bates, according to the Washington Post. Now, <laughs> I mean, I, I just read to you some of the things that that were presented to this judge. And that doesn't really buckle under light scrutiny in my book. But the Missouri Republican went public Wednesday evening with allegations against Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson in a Twitter thread that expressed concerns that Jackson's record endangered our children. Holly warned that as far back 
as as during Jackson's first time in law school. The judge has questioned whether convicts should be made to register as sex offenders and said that it leads to stigmatization and ostracization. She, She suggested public policy is driven by a climate of fear, hatred, and revenge against sex offenders, Holly said in a Twitter thread. Quote, it gets worse, he warned. As a member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission, Judge Jackson advocated for drastic change in how the law treats sex offenders by eliminating the existing mandatory minimum sentences for child porn. She wanted to do away with the mandatory minimum sentencing. And according to Holly, Jackson has said that some people in in possession of child pornography, quote, are in this for their collection or the people who are loners and find status in their participation in the community, unquote. What community would that be? The community of child exploiters? I mean, oh, the Missouri Republican further said that Jackson has suggested there may be a type of, quote, less serious child pornography offender, unquote, whose motivation is not sexual, and noted that during Jackson's time on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, Jackson said that she, quote, mistakenly assumed that child pornography offenders are pedophiles, unquote. Jackson's nomination uh, process has been spearheaded by left-wing judicial activism nonprofits like Demand Justice, an organization flush with cash with a massive 2022 budget. Filings examined uh, by Axios show that one of Demand Justice's board members is the National Justice um, Correspondent Ellie Mistal, who recently sparked a, a backlash by calling the Constitution, quote, kind of trash on The View. Quote, left-wing dark money groups in the Arabella Advisors Network spent a jaw-dropping amount of money in 2020 to help elect Joe Biden and Senate Democrats. Judicial Crisis Network President Carrie uh, Saravino said in a February statement that these groups have done everything in their power to corrupt the judiciary and the judicial nominations uh, and the process, from running smear campaigns against Justice Kavanaugh and Barrett to pushing uh, radical court packing reforms to even intimidating Justice Beyer into retirement. Quote, now that they have a vacancy, they want payback for their dark money spending in the form of a Supreme Court justice who will be a rubber stamp for their unpopular and far left political agendas. And that payback, of course, is in the form of Justice Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, President Joe Biden's Supreme Court pick, and has repeatedly embraced uh, champions of critical race theory in lectures and speeches while uh, nodding to the, the progressive idea 
with the use of the, the, the terms such as microaggression. Biden, who pledged in late January to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court, followed through by nominating Jackson uh, a, a month later. Jackson sits on the D.C. Court of Appeals and will replace retiring Justice uh, Stephen Beyer uh, if confirmed by the Senate, of course. Jackson's background includes a, a Harvard law degree, legal defense work for prisoners of Guantanamo Bay, and a stint leading the U.S. Sentencing Commission. Jackson was previously confirmed by the Senate for her spot on the D.C. Court of Appeals by a vote of 53 to 44 on January uh, 14th of last year. A review of a handful of Jackson's lectures and speeches from the past, even, even the last seven years, shows that the nominee has a strong appreciation for uh, leading proponents of CRT. While Jackson has avoided openly champion CRT, she has complimented its advocates and suggested that their progressive theory in, informs her legal analysis. In October of last year, Jackson moderated a Harvard Alumni Association webinar in the univer uh, with the university president, Larry Bacow. Now, Jackson, a, a questionnaire for the, the first part of the, the, of the webinar, uh, at one point focused the uh, discussion of the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, <laughs> of course, as an outgrowth of CRT scholarship. Jackson pressed back out on how the university recruits and retains talented uh, faculty of color. Jackson asked about a decision regarding the halting of a latex studies graduate, graduate course. The judge also claimed that the growing inequity in wealth and access to education in the United States and various systemic obstacles to social advancement and democratic ideals is of particular interest to the audience. <laughs> in February of 2020, Jackson spoke at the James E. Parsons uh, Award Dinner for the Black Law Students Association of the University of Chicago. During her speech, Jackson told students that microaggressions are real, echoing sentiments that she had given, um, of course, months earlier in an October 2019 Keystone address at the um, that Hoosh Blackwell retreat. Jackson advised students this. She said that I absolutely know and understand that you will face prejudice and other obstacles that other people in, our, in your environment do not have to endure. Life is not fair, and I totally get that the microaggressions that you are observing are real. The question I am encouraging you to think about is whether being confrontational will actually solve the problem, or even more important, whether it is worth your time. Having a thick skin means recognizing when you're being disrespected, but also understanding that marshalling a response each time something happens is a big distra distraction that takes your mind and, uh, and attention away from what really matters, which is doing the best job that you can possibly do so that you can rise to the level in which you will actually be able to address the kinds of issues that, you're, that, that you've witnessed.
That's what she said. And in January of 2020, Jackson gave a lecture to the University of Michigan's law, law school as part of its Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration. In a speech on black women leaders in the civil rights movement era and beyond, Jackson said that she took inspiration from one of the works of the late Derrick Bell, who is, of course, often touted as the grandfather of CRT. Bell's 1993 book, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, uh, The uh, Permanence of Racism, was a fixture of Jackson's childhood. The work is a pioneering contribution to radic- uh, critical race theory uh, scholarship, and it remains urgent and essential reading on the problem of racism in America. Jackson also credits uh, the work of Bell's widow, uh, Janet uh, Bell, another leading CRT advocate. Uh, Jackson uh, said that um, that Bell first uh, illuminated many of the observations that, that I am uh, presenting, she said. I have drawn heavily from her excellent insights, is what Jackson said. During her lecture, Jackson also highlighted the New York Times 1619 Project and its architects. Uh, acclaimed in, in, in investigative journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. The 1619 Project began as a series of, of essays, uh, later repurposed into educational materials for K-12 stu- students that claimed that the United States' um, true founding took place in 1619 with the arrival of the first slave ship to the U.S. The true founding reference was uh, actually removed after there was some pushback, but Jackson said of the 1619 Project, Hannah Jones, who happens to be a black woman, explained that the men who drafted and enacted the Constitution founded this nation on on certain ideals, freedom, equality, democracy. Yet, at the time, they formulated these principles, the institution of slavery already existed in the colonies. Ever since the year 1619, when 20 to 30 Africans who had been captured in their homeland arrived in the colonies by ship and were exchanged for goods. Jones highlights the irony of the situation even further when she notes that the very moment that Thomas Jefferson penned the self evident truths of the Declaration of Independence, a black relative, a slave, had been brought into his office to serve him. Thus, it is Jones's um, provocative thesis that the America uh, that was born in 1776 was not the perfect union that it purported to be, and that it is actually only through the hard work, struggles, and sacrifices of African Americans over the past two, uh, two centuries that the United States has finally become the free nation that the framers initially touted. But Katanji Brown Jackson is just the latest attempt to say the, the Supreme Court, um, to, 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 to try to make the Supreme Court a more activist and leftist institution. They have been on the attack for years now. And and in another uh, article from the Daily Wire, it says on September, on a warm September 2021 evening, a quiet, wealthy Chevy Chase neighborhood <laughs> erupted with chants of activists marching, singing, and yelling. Mere days before, the late 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg would pass away. Protesters gathered around Supreme Court Justice Brent Kavanaugh's suburban home, and the justice and his family appeared to be absent, though police stood about the street and around the home. Led by activists from shutdown D.C., the protesters demanded that Kavanaugh resign now, condemned the justice's decision to dismiss a challenge to Texas heartbeat law, and repeatedly expressed fears that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. This incident is just one of many reflecting tactics by left uh, leftist groups, activists, and lawmakers to intimidate, threaten, and smear the reputation of the Supreme Court justices, and even bully their own liberal justice to retire. The decades-long campaign to control the court has heightened in recent months as Democrats and leftists Activists observed Justice Clarence Thomas' influence growing and realized they have lost their stronghold on the court. Judicial this this uh, the statement lost their uh, stronghold on the court was um, uh, was said by um, the Judicial Crisis Network president Carrie Saravino, uh, and uh, that the left has long taken the court for granted. Saravino uh, said. Uh, believing the Supreme Court was their ace in the hole for getting policies achieved that they couldn't do through the uh, elected uh, branches. Now that this is not the case, Democrats and leftist activists widely advocate for expanding the court, and they subject both conservative Supreme Court nominees and justices uh, to uh, character assassinations, threats, and retaliation, even attacks on their legitimacy, and more. During her confirmation hearings, uh, media um, uh, media Democrats and, and activists portrayed uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett as an extremist, Catholic radical, determined to overturn Roe v. Wade and take a knife to the Affordable Care Act, even suggesting that Barrett adopted her children for nefarious reasons. Barrett's Catholicism made her unfit to serve as a judge. And Democrats and activists suggested the media uh, disingenuously highlighted Barrett's reported uh, connections to the Catholic group People of Praise, falsely reporting that the group was the inspiration for Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. The attack on Barrett might be considered nothing when compared to the campaign against Kavanaugh, which orchestrated by the abortion rights groups and propelled by statements and condemnations from Democrats like, uh, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, Of course, she was senator at the time and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Kavanaugh was accused of sexually assaulting multiple women, including Christine Blasey Ford, whose uh, attorney, Deborah Katz, uh, later admitted that putting, quote, an asterisk next to Kavanaugh's name before he takes a scalpel to Roe v. Wade was a part of what motivated Ford to speak out. Although the Senate Judiciary Committee found no evidence collaborating the allegations against Kavanaugh, his critics continued to portray him as a predator. In, in the fact that we actually have conservative originalist majority in, in the court is making the left crazy, Saravino said. This is really 
what's making them so outraged and is driving some of these new low lows in our political um, surroundings and, uh, when it comes to the court. In March of 2020, as the Supreme Court heard arguments in the uh, in the major abortion case, June Medical Services versus Russo, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York, threatened both Kavanaugh and Gorsuch all, uh, over uh, politically ruling uh, against the uh, against the abortion. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, Schumer warned. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have been you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, he added. This this actually uh, prompted a, a, a rare rebuke from Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, you know, because he was obviously threatening uh, these justices. The court ultimately ruled with the abortion advocates in the, in the June Medical Services uh, versus Russo, uh, with Roberts joining the liberal members of the court in this case. But uh, Seravino, the uh, Judicial Crisis Network uh, and, the, and the Judicial Crisis Net- Network have particularly criticized a network of left-wing dark money groups uh, in the uh, Arabella Advisor Network, accusing these groups of doing everything in their power to corrupt the judiciary and the judicial nominations process. The network includes Demand Justice, which we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, a judicial activism organization in, uh, in, in, uh, intentionally establishing as a as a project of the of the sixteen thirty fund, uh, which was um, just just an indisputable heavyweight in the in the Democratic dark money realm, which uh, is um, administered by the. Arabella advisors. Now, Demand Justice, which broke off from the 1630 fund, is registered as a nonprofit corporation as of May of last year. The organization is absolutely flush with cash and that is that that, that is being channeled into the Supreme Court uh, com, uh, confirmation of President Joe Biden's nominee. And of course, we, we talked about um, Judge uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Now, Arabella Advisors, the influential progressive dark money group, has distanced itself from demand justice amid organization increasingly high-profile judicial activism. But the conservative groups like Judicial Crisis Network insist that the Arabella is the mastermind behind both the dark money trail and the Supreme Court and the smear campaign against justices who will not cooperate. Court packing is the pet strategy of many of these groups. In January, a slew of progressive groups formed the Unrig the Courts Coalition, uh, specifically created to expand the court. In April of 2021, Demand Justice launched a campaign to pressure Justice Stephen Breyer to step down and make way for the first black female Supreme Court justice. Um, Jackson was already considered the top candidate, of course, even at that time. Demand Justice uh, ex- Executive um, Director Brian Fallon, a former top aide to Senate Majority Leader Schumer, insisted uh, in April of last year that it was worrisome that Justice Breyer was not said yet that, that has not said yet that he will step down. The group's campaign was. Uh, accompanied by pressure from buyers' retirement from Democratic politicians, including Democrat 
uh, Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal and Democratic New York Representative AOC. And when Breyer finally announced his retirement in January, Demand Justice's court's website, Balls and Strikes, published a piece that credited Breyer's retirement to being shamed by your tweets. So yeah, that says a lot. Such pressure on the justice to retire is not new. Former President Barack Obama and Democratic Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy reportedly pressured the late Justice Ginsburg to retire so that the younger liberal justice could be named uh, and prompting Ginsburg to ask publicly in 2014, so tell me who the president could have nominated this spring that you would rather see on the court than me. (laughs) But the level of vitriol uh, directed toward sitting justices as of late is different, and it is in great part due to the growing influence of Justice Thomas, says Mark uh, Paoletto, the the former general counsel of the Office of Management and Budget under under President Donald Trump. Now, Paoletto, who served as a lawyer in the George uh, H.W. Bush White House Counsel's uh, office and worked on Justice Thomas's confirmation, said that Justice Thomas has been laying down markers for a long time, writing opinions that the court catches up with years later. <laughs> Quote, this is the only branch of government they don't control, Paoletta said it in a liberal uh, set of liberal activists, noting that they worry the conservative justices are about to come down with a bunch of rulings that they fear are going to wipe away all these landmark liberal rulings. And they're trying to delegitimize the court, he said. Paoletta referred, uh, uh, referenced to a Jan- or, I'm sorry, a February New Yorker piece on Amy Coney Barrett, um, directly warning that Barrett isn't just another conservative. She's the product of a Christian legal movement that is intent on remaking America. <laughs> He also pointed to an incident in January where uh, commentators uh, and and liberal media piled on uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch uh, over an uh, unverified report that the Supreme Court justice had refused to wear a mask to accommodate his colleague, Justice Sonia Sonia Sotomayor. Um, And of course, both Gorsuch and Sotomayor both came out in uh, in a joint statement um, saying that the NPR story was completely false uh, and knowing that they were warm colleagues and friends. Perhaps most uh, egregiously, th- uh, Thomas's wife has become a point, a focal point of the smear campaign that Paoletta and uh, Saravino described. Uh, media have dragged uh, Jenny Thomas uh, for uh, appearing at the rally before the Capitol riot, insisting uh, insistently suggesting that Thomas violates ethic laws due to his wife's political interests. Like so many married couples, we are you know, we share many of the same ideals, principles, and aspirations for America, Thomas told the Washington Free Post Beacon last week. But we have our own separate careers and our own ideas and opinions too. Clarence doesn't discuss his work with me, and I don't involve him in my work. In a March 11th Newsweek piece, Paoletta warned that such criticism demands a new standard for recusal that has no place in the law or in the past practice. 
uh, noting that many spouses of judges work in politi- in politics or in the public policy. Those who criticize Jenny Thomas for her Republican stances often overlook the fact that Mari Ginsburg, husband of the late justice, practiced law at a firm that represented parties that were before the high court. Ginsburg's daughter even wrote an article about the, uh, a Supreme Court case, and Ginsburg voted the very result that her daughter advocated for. Paoletta um, emphasized that Ginsburg did not re- recuse herself in either of the situations involving her um, uh, her, her retaliations, uh, noting that the current law and standards did not require her to do this. Yet under new a- uh, activist proclamations and, and standards, Thomas is continually called to recuse herself or I'm sorry, himself, over his wife's longtime conservative beliefs, though she neither practices law nor writes briefs. And it's all about undermining the faith in the court and trying to illegitimate, illegitimize justices. They know that they'll never intimidate Justice Thomas. They've been trying to do this since he came to town in the 1980s, and it hasn't worked. <laughs> But it is just another case, in my opinion, of the left's panic over the Supreme Court. They, they have thought for a long time that, that uh, even if they lose elections and that type of thing, the, the Supreme Court will be on their side. And that's just not what's happening. Uh, under Trump, uh, he was able to put three different ju- justices on there, and they are definitely conservative. And, uh, and so now they're, they're seeing uh, things slip, uh, slip away from them. So... Uh, and as, as often happens when leftists are out of power, they get a little kooky, as you can see. And you may agree with me on this. You may disagree, but I would love to hear from you. And you can always do this at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.